let's say, just as a possibility, let's say that pause, that eternal moment seemingly in time, or let's say that pause, which to the mind, the conditioned mind, seems like nothing, yeah? that could actually be everything. And what's appearing to be everything could actually be nothing. And maybe your presence is actually an absence. And by your absence, you reckon, not you recognize, there's the recognition of presence. So here, all the things and all the thoughts and all the opinions and all the experiences seem like everything. That's what life is. That's, that's the chockfulness of life. Yes, there's all the things that are in it and everything happening, this and that. And we believe that's what's really going on. Yeah. And it seems like it's really going on because we seem like we're really going on. Yeah. So here's this thing going on. And we're calling it everything. And it's everything to us as a something. Yeah. Well, maybe it's actually the opposite of that. If you look at the dualistic construct of this place, you can take it as far as you like. So you can take it actually to presence and absence. So there's seemingly the presence. Well, it's all these things here and that, that. And then space seems to be absent, doesn't it? I mean, you don't see it, do you? You don't touch it, smell it, feel it. So basically, the space, which is actually more of everything than anything else, seems to be nothing. And what's appearing in it seems to be everything to us. Yeah. Just to us. It doesn't mean it's, it's everything to everything, but everything to us. And that significance that is being given to everything as being real and solid is being given by this, which is assuming it's real and solid. Yeah? So by this presence, everything seems to be real to this. Yeah? So by this presence, everything else seems to be real. We believe it's a solid world and it's separate inherently that way. But this is really a perceptual activity. So, so this is as real as I am. Yeah? The world is as real as I am. The world is as real as I am. If I'm real, then the world's real. Yeah? So here we go. This everything, this super presence of meaning, could you imagine that it's actually this absence, which is the presence? And we're attempting to entertain the presence as an absence. That's why it's not working. Because we're taking this to be the present. I'm present. I am. And as soon as this becomes the present, then the presence becomes absent to you. You now seek it. Obviously, if you're seeking it, there must be an experience of its absence, or you wouldn't seek it, obviously. So, it's by this presence, me being so absorbed in this as being real, yeah, what's actually could be real is taken to be unreal, like spirit and space and all this. Uh, we take time to be real and eternity, what the hell is that, you know? We take special somewheres to be real, but we don't even bump into everywhere. So it's everywhere. How could we not bump into everywhere if it's everywhere? Unless we believe we're in a special somewhere. That sense of being a special somewhere is your absorption in the presence of this, which is truly absent. 
So like St. Francis says, it's in self-forgetting. So when you forget the self, or you're in the, in the activity of forgetting self, which is you're forgetting your presence, yeah? Then this takes on its true view or a f- true appearance, which is it's absent, that's the presence. But when people want to be present as this to feel the presence. That's an impossibility. It can only be a misconstrued experience of something. But the presence is this absence. And we're talking about the absence of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. Just like in Buddhism, they would always talk about emptiness. Everything is empty. Everything comes, appears to disappear. Everything is empty of what? An inherent existence. It's not real. It's actually absent. In that absence, that's the presence. We're trying to feel the presence as an absence. If we're trying to feel the presence as an absence, we're making this present, yes? The mind is assuming this is present, and then immediately the presence has to take on being absent. This is the structure of this appearance. It's dualistic, yes? So, if this is present, then presence is absent. So what happens when you as a presence recognizes or senses the absence of two presence, seeking goes on. And not just seeking for presence, because the ignorance is set, so your seeking is driven to go to outside things, other, other actually absences. And we're trying to get filled up by an absence. Something that's absent of any inherent uh, condition we're trying to get filled up by. That's why it never works. So the point to me is just questioning, am I this? If I'm not, that actually is the verb of its absence, and then the presence is intimated. You travel lighter. Thoughts aren't seen as yours anymore, and definitely not seen as you as the thinker of them. And there's not any work to do it. It just happens that way. Because you see, inherently, everything is absence, absent from what you're looking for. Yeah? So, in that statement, another statement, supposedly by St. Francis, what's looking, I like to say what's seeing, but let's go with what? Translation. What's looking is what you are looking for. What's looking is what you are looking for. What's looking is actually the presence. You are the absence. When you is looking for the presence, it's absent. What's looking is what you are looking for. This is why it drives you crazy. (laughs) how could it not what's looking is what you are looking for so okay what's looking is the true subjectivity the you is absence of true subjectivity but it's taken itself to be the subject yes so the absence absence has become a presence and now the presence as you, is looking for the true subject. 
it can never find the true subject as a false subject. It has to admit it's not the false subject, and that's the seeing of the true subject. So tell me, look at how much confusion what's looking is, is what you are looking for can create. Now just take one word out of, out of that statement. What's looking, drop the you, is looking for. What's the problem? What's looking is looking for. What's the big deal? In both, the same word, look, is in, yeah? The, the nature of it in stillness, what's, you know, that, and the looking, the being of it is the same. It's only the idea of being a you that gets it confused. So what seeing appears here as a way of looking. But don't be this fooled by the looking because inherently it's seeing. What causes the confusion isn't the looking and the seeing, it's the you. The you right in sort of the middle, the seeing is there, and then when the seeing is claimed by a you, an idea of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity, this body, this you know, personality, that, that identification, when the seeing is happening through it, it calls it looking, because it claims the seeing and goes, I'm looking, I'm as this am looking, I'm as this is hearing, I'm as this is feeling, I'm as this is tasting, I'm as this is touching. So the conscious contact, the seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, which are forms of seeing here, there's five gates. So seeing, seeing isn't defined by the gates. Seeing is seeing, but seeing comes here and meets this world through five gates, let's say. Yeah? Those five gates, seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. That's conscious contact. That's the verb of being. The conditioned head, the absence that has claimed itself to be the subject, claims it and goes, I'm, Paul, am seeing you. So... It's not that it can erase the seeing, but it changes the emphasis of it. You don't get the feeling of the verb of being. You get a feeling of being a noun who's doing something called seeing, and you're seeing in another object called John. So your mind's emphasis is not on the verb of seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. It's on the made-up nouns. See? Because head has given name and form to everything here. So now you have a name, and John has a form, and I forget the seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, and I get very, 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 in a mental, experiential way, consumed with the nouns. So now a verb, life is happening, can look like it's happening to me. How could you, if you were a verb, and everything is verbing, how could you give direction to any other verb as if it's happening to you? There would only be verbing, yeah? It's when the verb goes like this and says, I'm this, I'm a noun, now all this stuff called life happening can now seem to happen to you. Because why? You have a fixed reference. And it gives everything direction. When there's a fixed reference, if you're on a ball and that's all you were on, you'd have no idea where you were on the ball. But if you put a flag on the ball, yeah? And then everything gets referred to that flag's position. That's your life's fucking story, from the point of view of self. You're the flag on life, you're the fixed reference, and now you're pontificating 
over all the directions, all the verbs of life are happening. Some you want aren't happening to you, some you don't want seem to be happening to you. And a huge story is written on this false flag operation, so to speak. This identification as a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. This is your flagpole. Bam! And now you look at everything as how it's happening to you. And if it isn't enough to see it now like that, you go into an imaginary past and the future. And then the head represents what probably never even happened to begin with, 850 different ways. Let me be the antagonist, let me be the protagonist, let me be the victim, let me be the perpetrator. Let me see... It's a mental experience, you're addicted to mind. Well, you're addicted as mind, you're not, you are not addicted to mind. So let's say here, let's say there's a mental process that's going on, and that mental process is producing a product. That product is produced by a verb called selfing. It's I, me, mying all day. It's just constantly talking and rehashing and representing and refeeling things based on you as a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. I'm really a historical action figure in time yeah. and, in a, and in space, in a place like this. This thing goes on forever and ever and ever in this head. That mental experience, in that verbing of selfing, there is a sense of a noun. Yeah. So here's this verbing of selfing, and then part of the verbing goes like this, and now in this act, its main act, which is it's a verb claiming the other verbs. So this verb of selfing starts rising and starts claiming the other verbs as if I'm the one who's thinking. I'm the one who's doing this. I'm the one who's doing that. It's only a verb. There is no noun to be found. There is no long-lasting, independent, separate entity. Everything is inherently empty of that here. Yeah? But there it is. So there's a noun. Now, so if you see it, this mental process of selfing is producing a product, and that product is a sense of being a noun. Yeah? Paul. How could you expect a product of a mental process to ever transcend the mental process as a product? In other words, how we say it is, self can't get out of self. So, a product of a mental process is never going to leave that process and be an inherent, real, solid, separate entity in any other process. It doesn't exist. It's a product of a mental process. It's a product of a verb of mind. Selfing, selfing, selfing. Oh, I've got this feeling. It's a thought wrapped with a feeling, a vague sense of being a self. And then, so here you are. It's like one of those things with the... It's got like three different layers. There's the outer, there's the inner, inner, then there's, and there's another. So here's the thought, and then there's a sense, and then there's a whole wrapping around of the daily narrative. So a thought, right, with a feeling, and then tons of thoughts. It's like a, one of those ice cream bars. <laughs> you know what I mean? Nothing's in the middle. <laughs> so there's a thought. I'm a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. And there's a feeling that goes along with that. Yes, you have a vague feeling that that's so. You can't put your finger on it, but you're very, 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 very rarely even moved to try to put your finger on it. It's just it's an assumption. And then there's the daily narrative that binds that all in place. Yeah? So your head, this conditioned aspect of mind, with this mental process, 
It's activity. So let's say when you were a kid. My golden years were when I was two and four. Yeah? At that point, the mental process hadn't really developed well yet. I had no idea of being a self. And there was really, there may have been thoughts, but they weren't self-reflective thoughts. I was never thinking about me, because there was no solid me yet. So there was thinking maybe, but there was, there was no thinking about a me. And so when I was playing, that's all I was doing. Because there was no other option my mind was entertaining at that time. It wasn't entertaining that I could, I could not be doing what I was doing, let's say. <laughs> it just it did not have that, that thought yet. Yeah? And it didn't have a thought of time, so when it was playing, it wasn't worrying, will I be playing next week? Because I had no idea about next week. And when I saw my mother, I loved her. It didn't matter if she was super obese or ugly. I had no idea of beauty and ugliness yet. It was just love. Yeah. So, obviously, my mind was reflecting at that time. It wasn't reflecting self, which is what happens. Right? You and I have an ability to self-reflect. At this time, I had an ability to reflect, but it was not reflecting self. It was, I would say it was reflecting awareness or consciousness. Yeah. Then introspection began, and then it started thinking. And then it started thinking of, about a vague something. Yeah? Like what happened with me, I could, you know, this is just a story, but I remember I was running around my neighbor's house, the Nichols house, naked. I was like three and a half, four, yeah, with the other kid, Johnny Nichols. And everything was great. And the goddess of all goddesses to me, my mother, stuck her head out the kitchen window and looked at me like I was doing something wrong. And she said, Paul, get in here. And at that point, I felt wrong for being, you know, our natural, so to speak. Yeah? My head started to generate thoughts about who, you know, what did I do? And it was actually almost like when you whip up milk into to a cream, the thinking whipped up this sense of being a something. Because all the thoughts were, and then there was a sense of a Paul. And then that Paul had an inherent bit of conditioning, which was something is wrong with him, yeah, deep down. I didn't know what it was, but it, it sort of became one of the major themes of the selfing in my life. Yeah. A feeling of, just then you have to get a song and dance and try to keep people off you, and it's an just something's off. Yeah. So this, my head, the mind, I'm not talking about the mental process, but mind, yeah? And it's, don't get caught up in the words, maybe it can't reflect, I'm going to paint a picture of it as a reflector. So the mind's reflecting, first it was reflecting that free condition, yeah? Unadorned by the idea of being a self. And some of the effects of that condition are wonder and awe, immediacy, like unbridled love. I mean, I've never loved anything as much as my grandmother and my mother, you know, it's just fucking unbelievable. And then the dog, the first dog I've had, I killed it with love. <laughs> it's just too much. So there it was. All this was available and open. And then introspection occurred. And it's sort of like if I, um, if there was like a glove that my, the mind, yes, instead of reflecting all those possibilities of that, started to reflect the selfing, and there was an identification with what the mental process was presenting as me, of being this. And so the mind forgot its nature and took on the nature of a body and of this. And so it entered into a system. So here's the mind that can entertain peace and no serenity, wonder and awe, 
love, unbridled love with no thoughts going along with it, just all of that demonstrated unbelievably. Then it goes into this little box called self-centeredness. It still has this incredible ability to entertain and to give meaning to things, but now it's given the biggest meaning of all to this mental process. It's called the mental process me. The selfing now has been given the meaning, that's me. And then all the ability to entertain all these things like peace of mind and serenity and love started to, everything it entertained had to be entertained through the identification as a self, which severely limits what it can entertain. So as you know now, at that time, maybe you had a sense of okayness. Now the best you can do is, I will be okay later. Have you ever seen that? When you look at someone and they're flipping out, and you say, hey, what's happening? Oh, don't worry, I'll be okay later. Not right now, no, no. But later. This is, this is one of the possibilities self-centeredness offers. Another possibility is to be saved, like by a man or a woman. Another possibility is if I get everything together out there, it's going to translate into me being happy, joyous, and free. These haven't worked out for us, yeah? So this incredible ability to entertain is now forced to entertain everything as a self, which limits what it can entertain. So it entertains separation, yes. It entertains that you can live a whole life and not be loved or love. It entertains you could be severely hurt when you, really, you don't realize at all your invulnerability as spirit. You live in anxiety. Everything, all your peace of mind is conditional and based on circumstances and always has to do with something you did or didn't do. So in a sense, it always comes down that the selfing now plays the role of God in our life. And in AA, like any other program, if you heard a statement about any other program and it said this is the how and why of it, that's a very comprehensive statement about that program, whatever it was, yeah? And it says, the how and why of this whole program of recovery is you've got to stop playing God. Why? Because it doesn't work. So how does this self-centeredness play God? Look at it. It gives you name and form when you are actually the formless and nameless. It tells you how your day is going to be before you even get up. It tells you how you were, how you are, and how you're going to be. It tells you what you can expect and what you can't expect. It tells you the same old, same old, and you buy it every fucking day. It's playing God constantly. Yeah? With your ability to entertain and give meaning to things. Because now all that ability that mind, unadorned mind has, has been given over to this insane little mental process that's producing this insane idea of being a self, and now everything is entertained as a self. So if you entertain peace as a self, it has to be an object to you. And if it's an object to you, then there's going to be something you're going to have to do, and you're going to have to have to get it. And conversely, if there's something that you have to do to get it, if you don't do it, you won't get it. That's playing God with what I call God. So all the way as you're practicing wanting to know God or knowing God, who's critiquing your journey? The head. Who tells you you're close? Someone who's 
has the Islamic head will think he's close when they read the Quran. Someone with a Christian head, they're close when they read the Bible. A Buddhist is when they do a retreat. If you put the Islamic person in a retreat, he say, this is driving me farther from God. If you put the, the, the Buddhist in a Christian thing, blah, blah, blah. It's all mine playing God. Yeah. So quit playing God. Well, if you try to quit playing God, that's playing God. Self can't get out of self. So you can't apply the system to a problem from the system. So you're fucked. And that's the good news. Literally. There was a book called The Wisdom of No Escape, and I don't know if I have the same view of the people that put it out, but to me the wisdom of no escape is there's nothing to escape from. That's the wisdom. You tell the truth about everything that seems to be so, and if you let it be as so as it wants to be, it shows its real nature. It's not so. It's when you're trying to make it not so, you're giving it a reality. Because you give everything the meaning it has. So here, all right. Let's say I think self is defeating me. So I try to make it not so. It gets to be more so, doesn't it? Everything I try to make unreal, it seems to be realer. Why not do it the other way? Let it be as real as it wants to be, and it will show its nature. It's unreal. So, okay, mind comes out. This is why we invite you. Yeah? We're inviting you. The male slot is in the mental process. The only way it can understand is getting an envelope with its writing. So here's the message. I'm a, you're a lion. You're a lion. Now it goes into the mail slot. Let's say, here's the message. Here it goes. You're a lion. You're a lion. You're a lion. You're a lion. Then it hits you a little mail slot here. As soon as it hits your little address, yeah? This is Paul, the long-lasting independent separate entity, getting a new message coming through. I'm a lion. I'm a lion. I'm a lion. I'm a lion. I can become like a lion. Aha! That's it. No, that's not the message. I'm a lion, I'm a lion, I'm a lion, I'm a lion, I'm a lion. I can become like a lion. So here's the message. That sounds like it coming from me, Paul's voice. And, it, and it's going to go to Steve. So here's Paul's voice. I'm a lion, I'm a lion, I'm a lion, I'm a lion, I'm a lion. Steve's voice. I can become like a lion. I can become like, I can become like a lion. <laughs> what happens is enough invitations, yes? Of course the thing, the selfing will discard the envelope. But the mind, the mind that's seemingly in this box of self-centeredness, maybe we'll get the invitation and maybe, just maybe, we'll hold the situation as I'm not that. I'm not that, the center of that system. I am not self. What happens? The mind opens out of that and its ability to entertain is free from entertaining everything as a self and now it can comprehend the word serenity and it can know peace. Now it has a new freedom and a new happiness. Now it has a new attitude and a new outlook. Now it's placed in a position of neutrality. Now the problem doesn't exist for it. Da-da-da-da-da. All of these are incredible possibilities, but not as a self. As a self, there are always goals that are determined by what you do or don't do through time. So in that fact, all the goals, or let's say all the expressions of quote-unquote godlike nature, I don't like the word god, but let's just look at it quote-unquote, God-like nature, are being played with by selfing. So selfing plays God about the God-like natures. 
It says, yes, if you do this and do that, and maybe take a few lifetimes. It's unbelievable. You're going to sit there and, and accept that? Oh, yeah, it's going to take you about 20 lifetimes of purification. <laughs> Give me a fucking break. Okay, I'm willing to put it off that long. <laughs> I got a lot of work to do, yes. A lot of purification. It's like polishing the mirror. You're blocking the whole reflection by busily polishing it. Yes? Look, see. It's like the lion and the young lion. The young, the young lion, you know, his mother dies, yeah? And he's, and he's left alone. And he doesn't know what the fuck he is yet. And so this herd of sheep come by. And so it, try, it goes after the herd of sheep to sort of join him. And the herd of sheep obviously knows it's a lion, and they sort of flip out. But after a minute or two, they realize this thing doesn't even know what it is. So then they sort of adopt him, and the young lion is trying to live the sheep life, you know, and he's sitting around, all the old sheep are talking about who's going to be this year's sweater, and, you know, you know this is argyle and wool and all this. And he's barring and chewing cud, and of course he's probably not that happy, yeah? But he doesn't, quote-unquote, know any better. He just doesn't know any better. So his possibility is just to hunker down, and maybe someday it will really translate, I'll become a happy sheep, you know? If I just keep sheeping, I'm going to become a happy sheep. So then this old lion comes in looking for food, and he runs after the herd, and he sees this young lion, and he thinks it's joining on the hunt, but he realizes it's running away. So he runs after the young lion. The young lion rolls on his back and goes, Please, please, Mr. Lion, don't hurt me. I'm a humble sheep. So the old lion's a little perplexed. Doesn't say a damn thing. Yeah. Doesn't sit there and try to you know, teach him that he's a lion. Doesn't start telling him all this stuff. He just grabs him, brings him to this pond of water, sticks both their heads out. The young lion sees the reflection, realizes what? It's a lion. It doesn't have to take, it doesn't have to sit down and go to scriptural studies about I'm a lion. It recognizes it's a lion. Then the guy goes roar, it roars immediately. It doesn't have to sign up for workshops with a master roarer. It's got the innate nature to roar. It's the same thing. Mind is like a reflection, yeah? Right now it's reflecting selfing, so you're consumed by that. When you were a kid, it was reflecting something other, and you were in wonder and awe. It's basically the same fundamental qualities of living were available. What happened? The products of then and there seemed to be long gone, never to be had again. Because we outgrew, we grew into something. It's like that hand of consciousness... Let's say the only sense in this world was to feel. The only way you'd know anything in this world was to feel, yeah? Like this. And so, obviously, the scriptures would be in braille. Because yeah? <laughs> you'd have to feel them. So, one of the scriptures is a great description of the petals of a rose bush. Like the highest form of heaven in this world of senses would this be this heaven of, of gardens of roses. And all the different petals, yes? and the feeling of it, the exquisite, exquisite fineness and subtlety of the rose. And so, all these people, let's say, in this thing, so as I was born, yeah, this thing grew into this, this idea of being, let's say, a self, which is going to be like a coarse glove. So the coarse glove is going to go over what's conscious, and the only way I have contact here is this sense of feeling, is now going to be enclosed in a coarse glove, so everything I touch is going to be interpreted through the glove. Yeah? Everything. So I'm going to think this is really rough. 
I'm going to think this is really rough. I'm going to think this is really rough. I'm going to think this is really rough. I'm going to think this is really rough. Everything is going to seem to be rough to me. Even though they have all different qualities, it's going to be overridden by this feeling of roughness because everything is being interpreted by the globe. Yeah. So I get to that, that heaven of rose bushes and I feel the rose bush. But what do I feel? Just something rough. Yeah. It actually rips apart pretty easy. It doesn't seem like it was much. What were they freaking talking about? So you may have faith in that scripture, but it doesn't translate into a radical shift. Yeah. What would happen if the hand just entertained that there was a glove? As soon as it entertained that there was a glove, it could entertain coming out of the glove. All the while it never entertained there was a glove, it took this to be the hand, it would never entertain coming out of it, would it? Just like if you were born and someone put a hand on your shoulder and it had been there your whole life, you wouldn't know it was there. You would only know it was there when it was lifted. You would know it by its absence, really. And that's how you know you as an absence, by the presence. That's how you really know the problem by the solution. When the solution becomes activated, you will know that in, in recovery, the problem is identification itself. It will be clear as day. Because it won't be activated anymore. So here, so now the hand comes out, the glove comes out, and it touches that rose petal. And immediately, it has an aha about the scripture. The description of heaven, it has a, a, an aha. It has, it has it. It experienced it. It sensed it. Yes? It doesn't have to have a dogmatic belief or a faith in that. Like a blind faith. It knows. Exactly. It's like an unspoken yes. Your head, your mind can reflect awareness. Now it's reflecting an idea that you're aware, which is making you unaware. That awareness. If you try to change the or change the problem as the problem, that's a bigger problem. So you just sit there. Hopefully, like what happened with me, someone invited me, and I it, that this message opened up a pause to me. My head stopped because it is a verb; it can be startled into stopping. And actually, there's plenty of gaps, but it has a story that overrides those gaps. It's always Clear. It's always cleaning up its tracks very well, selfing. It's like, no matter how many times it's broken apart, it will reform. Yeah? You'll have an epiphany and there'll be totally what later on you will call as a selfie or peak experience in your life. Really, you were never there to be in it. But that's why it was the peak experience. You were absent, but there you are as absent. And, da, da, da. and then suddenly the mind reasserts itself and goes, oh, I just had this incredible experience. That's basically when it ended. <laughs> as soon as the self claims it, there's no more epiphany. <laughs> it now gets to be something you have and put up here on your little spiritual mantle and you polish it. It's living. This is a living realization. It's activated at all times. There's no gate you enter because it's a moving gate. It's a verb. So it's a gateless gate. It's an open secret. There's no secret to it. It's just a noun can't enter it. A noun can't enter it. It's like I, have a told, I used to tell an old one in the Monday nights I used to do. The, the heaven's door, knocking on heaven's door. I always like this one. 
So here I am, Paul, yes? Thinking I'm a nice guy, and I have this door. God answers it, and I go, God, can I come in? So God looks right at me and goes, Paul can't come in. So this upsets me a little bit, so I, just, I lean on determined to become spiritual. Yeah? I'm going to practice. I get a lot of white clothes. Let's get the look first before I do any, any experiences. Get the clothes, you know, the necklaces, whatever, patchouli oil. Practice that little loving look, you know. I'd love to tear your throat out, but... All this, and then let's say maybe you meditate and do this and do that, and then the thing that's playing God is, yeah, you're getting there. I'm going to give you a couple little, you know, badges. You know, so you did a three-month retreat. You're getting up there, a ladder of spirituality, whatever. So now you feel like you have a good resume. You're ready. God answers. Do I say, God, can I come in? I'm basically walking right by him. He goes, Paul, can't come in. That really stuns me. So I say, Fuck you, and I leave. And I start partying and everything again. I said, fuck this, I'm, I'm giving this whole thing up. And then what happens is, obviously, life kicks my ass, and I get washed up on the shores right near that door. And when I wash up, something happens, yeah? A little psychic shift occurs. And I knock on the door. God answers it, and I go, can I come in? And God looks right at me and says, Paul can't come in, and I walk right by. You see, because God wasn't saying anything personally to me. He was just stating a fact. A Paul, a Stephen, a Mary, a Joe, a Jill cannot come into heaven. Yeah? What you're identified as cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Yeah? And so this whole story about I was exiled from heaven or I haven't done enough was all made up in my little head. Because God never said, I can't come in. He just said, Paul can't come in. Yeah? So what I was identified as can't go in. But what I am is already in. So what happens if you get exiled? What are you? What's your head going to do? Tell tell a story about it, isn't it? You've been forsaken. If I only would have meditated longer, or if I, I didn't purify enough, and on and on and on and on and on, you can walk right in. The bus is pulled up. Get on. Don't you don't understand? I've been longing for this day. I know. Get on. Oh, but you don't understand. I do. Get on. Go. <laughs> No, you don't understand. No. <laughs> so in recovery, they, they use the word new a lot. You like that? I always like that. Because obviously there was an old attitude and no outlook based on what? On self-centeredness. And that's why it says you didn't know, basically it's saying you'll know the word serenity and comprehend peace because obviously you weren't really knowing serenity and comprehending peace. You had concepts of serenity and peace, yeah? But they were basically conditions that were based or produced by you doing and having. That's not serenity and peace. Serenity and peace are in and of themselves, let's say, states. They're not produced or provoked by you. They're available, but not to a you. The you is what causes them to seem unavailable. And when they seem to be unavailable, then it's up to you to do and have something to get there. And it plays God. But peace and serenity are right where you are right now. 
It doesn't take any time to entertain what's so. You don't have to go to any special somewhere if what's so is everywhere. Right where you are is the, is the living open temple. Most of us are worshiping at closed temples every day. We're putting things off to, to next week, the next retreat, the next that. They're all closed temples. I don't care how good they look. They're closed. This is the living temple now. Yeah. It's always available at all times. How could everywhere not be everywhere? And if everywhere is everywhere, why aren't you sensing it? You must think you're in a special somewhere. Yeah. That excludes everywhere. Can't exclude it totally, so it makes up concepts about everywhere that you entertain in a special somewhere. That ain't everywhere. <laughs> I mean, where would you start a journey to get to everywhere? Tell me. Where would the journey end in everywhere? Where would be the middle of the journey in everywhere? What would be the center of everywhere? I would say right where you are at all times. <laughs> <laughs> so you're at the beginning and the end and the middle, before and after. Everywhere, I would say, is 360 degrees. There's no one place to look for everywhere. It's in the looking that's everywhere. Yeah, It's in the seeing. When you close your eyes, do you actually believe you stop with your cheekbones? Oh, come on. Don't you see black with like stars going off, don't you? What does that imply? Those things we felt when we were kids were probably the most valid, intuitive hits we've ever had. Then we've been conditioned not to believe it. When I used to close my eyes, that was space. It's just like that now. Uh, right here? I stop here, and then what, what this is is nothing. And then a super present that is actually absent starts there. So maybe, in a sense, we're, we're worshiping the wrong part of the negative. <laughs> Maybe the developed picture isn't really it. Maybe it's the negative or the absent of this, which is it. I found it to be so, at least as a, this idea of being a self. When this is forgotten, then the presence is felt. Yeah. Not as something that was acquired or attained by this, but it's truly its absence. And when you live, continue to live, when this is absent, it's very clear that it wasn't you to begin with. Because you would have ended if it was. Yeah? If this was you and, and it was absent, you would be what you call dead. But in self-forgetting, you're actually reborn. So let's say if the biggest meaning your mind can give anything is you, yeah? and it's given it to self, and could you imagine if that you was redistributed to what you really are, and you gave the meaning of that as you, yeah? and then that distributed all the meanings into your life instead of selfing, distributing all its meanings into your life. So in recovery it says, I'm going to surrender my will and my life over to the care of something greater than myself, of my own understanding. And I understand why they put it that way. But let's just take a look at it this way. Why would you want to define that higher power in your own understanding? 
this awesome everywhereness, you'd be putting a very small frame on it and saying, that's the only way it can enter my life <laughs> when you're totally submerged in it. <laughs> so I would rather know that higher power by its own understanding. And how it translated to me is a major little shift in my little AA recovery understanding was when I got my higher power was always available at all times with no requirement necessary to need it. <laughs> so the thing that was causing it not to be so or only so when it thought it should be so, that was fired and then it was always so. <laughs> you let this everywhere be defined by this little head? You'll limit it. So maybe you'll get a parking space next week at the meeting, or you won't flip out the next picnic you go to. But Jesus, raise the bar, maybe. About <laughs> comprehending serenity and knowing peace. Let's go for that. What? I, ca I cannot possibly do that. That's true. You can. But you're not that. Yeah. As soon as this identification is broken... The parameters you're living by are broken. Now you have a sense of okayness now, not I will be okay later. Always based on what you do or don't do or someone else does or doesn't do. You're, we're letting our peace and our serenity and our satisfaction be totally determined by conditions and circumstances. What an insane investment. It's like building a house on sand, like Jesus said. There's no foundation. There'll be no peace in that house because there'll always be the possibility it could slide off the cliff. But what's always so and everywhere, how could you not grow in an assurance of that? Searching at thrift stores, I found the first shirt entity. Now I've got to find one with long lasting on it. I'll cut that out. One with separate, cut that out. Independent. <laughs> Have a little arrow. Long lasting, separate, independent entity. <laughs> happening now. All the disquiet and, and unease you're, you're afraid something is going to provoke in you, you're in that now. <laughs> in the mental process. It's the most agitated, it's agitation being afraid of a future agitation. It's insanity. The source of all agitation is worried about being agitated later. <laughs> Fear is an emotion. What you're having is anxiety. It's not fear. It's a mental experience produced by a mental process. You entertain a mental experience of what's not happening. In that, anything can happen. Anything can happen. This is the true playing of God by this head. It creates a realm of what's not happening, the then and the there. Yeah. 
and it goes, has mental experiences of it. It can't travel. There is no airport in what's not happening. There's no five-star hotel. You can't get a, you know, a, like a tour guide. You go alone. So you go into what's not happening. Anything can happen there. So your mind will have a mental experience that I have cancer. It actually is not having a physical experience yet because it doesn't have cancer. But it says, oh, fuck that. I'm going to think I'm going to have cancer next, next week. And so now what happens? Ag anxiety is made, and then it downloads the anxiety now. So it overrides an experience of responding to what's happening with a mental experience of what's not happening. You don't think that's playing God? You don't think that's the act of playing God? That it's, this isn't good enough or bad enough for it? It has to go into what's not happening and make up a, an experience, purely a mental product, to override what's going on here. So, most people are not in fear. They're in anxiety. It's a mental experience. Fear is a valid emotion. When, something, when the shit hits the fan and someone's chasing you or something, fear is provoked. Yeah, You either run or fight or whatever. But most people are sitting here. They're not responding to what's happening. There's no impending threat now. They're reacting to what's not happening. They're just, they're just out to lunch. And then they're wondering why their life isn't that satisfying. How could it be? Real satisfaction cannot be produced in what's not happening. You can daydream all you freaking want and fantasize all you want. It's not going to produce the goods. It's going to produce a, a, a substitute for it, a semblance of it, yes? Purely mental. Will not download into your gut, won't download into your heart won't download into your balls or whatever. It won't download into the bottom of your feet. It won't anchor you anywhere. You'll just be living in the realm of time. Anything can happen. And then what did happen? You've made up stories already. You just represent it in all different ways. You have no idea. You believe you have a history. It's fucking all made up. It changes every day. Just represents, rehashes, refeels, rethinks. On and on and on and on and on and on and on. Yeah? So let's say that's happening. Let's say I'm living an interpretation. So, see, in this place of time. So there's a moment, yes? I'm not conscious to the experience of the moment. I live an interpretation on the last moment. Yeah? So this moment is really filled up with the interpretation of the last moment. Yeah? And then the next moment is filled up with the interpretation of this moment. And then the next moment is filled up with this moment. So let's say you get in the habit. You outgrew that conscious contact, and now you're in this realm of interpretation. So you're in there, and it's going on year after year, year after year, year after year. So every time anything happens, you wait for your head to tell you what happened. Don't you? Isn't sometimes when you go to work, and then at around 6 o'clock at night, you've been there all day, at 6 o'clock at night, the mind breaks the news to you, you had a bad day. It tells you, man, I had a really bad day today. And you, what? And then you go over the day, it gets represented, and you come up with the verdict, yes, I had a bad fucking day. Now, I would think if you were having a bad day, you would have known it while you were having it. Yeah? But you're out to lunch, and then it tells you, it informs you. That, it's doing this all day. <laughs> it's, it's, in other words, it said, don't worry, I'm going to take this incredible burden away from you, Paul, of living. 
And I'll just interpret everything and just chill out, take it easy, go, go to sleep, trance out, consume, you know, whatever. But don't stay awake. No, no, no. You don't want to see it. It's going to be unbelievably ugly what's happening. So there it does. It tells you. So it's, it goes on like this. goes on like this. You're in a finite situation as a body, yeah? It's going to come to an end. So let's say that moment comes. Here's all these moments. Every moment is just filled up with the interpretation of the last moment. So this last moment hits, and your body and your brain shuts down. You're in no man's world, yeah? Because you're waiting for your head to tell you that you just died. <laughs> but there isn't another second that it can interpret the last one. That was it. There's the bus, and you didn't get on. <laughs> Some Buddhist practice is all about that moment of death. You missed the boat. There you are, just waiting. Oh, oh, great one, tell me what happened. There's no sound. First of all, there wouldn't be anyone going, oh, great one, tell me. Everything shuts down. Bye-bye. Finito. Totally consumed with things and things and thoughts as things and feelings and things and things. And yet, the overriding nothingness appears once again, overrides the appearance. Bye-bye. And there's an allegiance to what appeared and no allegiance to what didn't appear. self-forgetting, doesn't that imply absence? It's your absence that's the presence. If you keep taking yourself as a presence or as a subject, when you're truly absent of that, then you'll never find this true subject, which is what's seen right now. Right now. What's seen has been given a name, and now it's the you that's looking for what's seeing. But it can't recognize what's seeing because it believes it's a you. Take the you out and there's no dilemma. What's seeing is what's looking for. Well, in fact, it's neither, but yeah, you let's take it from to the either or. I don't want to really go crazy tonight, so yeah, either or, yeah. You're either dying to the self or as the self, let's say. In, in activity, that's how it looks. Dying to the self would be you're seeing the thoughts as not yours, yeah? Or not about you. So you have an immunity to them. When you're not being directed by thought, you're being directed by something else, yes? That's the way, in a way. Or you're dying as the self, which is you're totally believing all the thoughts, you believe that you're a historical action figure. You believe the world is real. You are real. You can be hurt. You can be violated. All these things can happen. You can be thwarted. You can live with not getting what you want. You can be, you can be totally unloved the whole life when you're actually the source of love. All these things seem to be real to you as a you. But they're truly false evidence that are appearing real. What allows them to appear real is the truest false evidence, you as a presence.
wouldn't even put an absolute because you don't have to realize the spirit, just realize you're not that. Yeah? And that's, that's spirit. Spirit is an activity here. It's being, yeah? It's not an event that you can have. It's a beingness. And part of its being is that it can, it can see what's not so. In the seeing what's not so, that's it. It's, do, it's doing, let's say like consciousness, its verb would be conscious of. Yeah? Yeah. So all there is is consciousness. Okay? So all there is is that consciousness. Let's say the stillness, the deafening silence like that. But here, it's verbing. So consciousness is appearing as conscious of. Unfortunately, what's happened is it's appearing to our minds as conscious as this. I am conscious as Paul. That's not it. There's just conscious of. What? Consciousness. Consciousness is being conscious of. There's the you. Consciousness is Paul being conscious as this. Yeah? That's the little mistake in a sense. Let's see that. See that and... You don't have to do anything else. Just tell the truth about what's not so. And that's being so. Anything, anything else would be too much time. This has nothing to do with time. It's instantaneous because it's always going to be an instantaneous solution when it's an imaginary problem. Literally. Because if it's an imaginary problem, there's no time that's needed to deal with it. It's just seen as imaginary, and there's a solution. So let's say I go like this and get ready to feel this presence. That's way too much. It can happen, but this, the mind assumes that it's doing something once again to get ready for this. It doesn't have to get ready for it. It doesn't have to paint the room. It doesn't have to do any purification. It's what's so. It's so much faster than you think. It's like immediate. Prior to any mental little activity, which is time, this is timeless, just like a pause. A pause does not have time in it. It's seen in time. It's bookended by time. Yeah, We think there was a moment before the pause and a moment after the pause. But the pause, if you've ever entertained one, doesn't have a feeling of time in it. It's, it's like a pregnant possibility. With one pause, your whole life here can change. The same old, same old. The same direction you would always take in a certain situation. With a pause, it can go a totally different way. Like 180 degrees different. Anything is possible in a pause. That pause is actually what's so. You are actually the living pause. It says in recovery, pause when agitated. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The pause. It's a living so-ness. It's the only remedy to the agitation. Everything else to remedy agitation is further agitation. Pause is the remedy of it. I like the hand movements. You don't have to do this either, but I like it. My old Course in Miracle days. Yeah.
So in a way, in recovery, we manipulate pauses. Serenity prayer is a way to manipulate a pause. So when you're, gonna, you're in that reactive modality of being new in recovery, usually false evidence appears real and you react, right? So someone you say, hey, you motherfucker, and then you, you get caught in the bureaucratic fly paper. You've got to go to jail and then court and everything. And you're going, what the fuck? Jesus Christ, I'm living like in a hallway of shitting fans, you know? You're getting hit with a face and this and that. If someone could just turn a couple of the fans off, my life would be so much better. And it would. This is about a, a manipulated pause. So if you're that insane, you say, all right, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. And it gives you at least a 10-second pause between false evidence and reaction. Yeah? Why not entertain that pause? Then you see the false evidence. If you see it, it doesn't appear real to you. And then the conditional reaction doesn't occur. Because it has to be tickled with some sense of reality to you. If it's not seen to be real, it will get diffused immediately or over time. Usually very quickly. And your life will look totally fucking different. That pause is always available at all times. That's where you, in a sense, stop playing God. Not you, but you see what's playing God. In that pause, it stops, and then God plays God. It doesn't have to play God. God is God, yeah, in that pause. There's no confusion. The giving up of the playing God is the pause, really. And in that pause, what's God, what is God plays God. So by your absence, you feel the presence. And really, I'm serious. The real dilemma here is you're not satisfied. And if you were, you'd be totally different. Really. If you really had a deep satisfaction, most of your crazy behavior would drop like that. It's really, you're just not satisfied. And if the philosophies aren't working and the reading the books and the DVDs, this is just a re- actual satisfaction that chills you out. I mean, obviously, seeking implies you don't think you have what you're looking for, or you wouldn't be seeking, yeah? It's, I mean, it doesn't, it's not rocket science. So let's say I feel that satisfaction. I'm not, now I'm not looking for satisfaction so much, yeah? Any questions today? No?